This is the new Blue Review with Benji Shulman. One hundred one point nine High FM. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. And I'm happy to say we have on the line with us Tammy McAllister. She is from <coughs> Airborne Lifeline Foundation. Tammy, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us on High FM. Oh, thanks, Benji. It's lovely uh, to have the opportunity to speak to you, and thank you so much for the honour. No, really, really great to uh, chat with you today. Maybe you could just start off by telling us what does the Airborne Lifeline Foundation do and where do you where do you work? Okay, so I'm based in Botswana and Airborne Lifeline Foundation was is a US based NGO that was founded by Mr. Jonathan Miller and uh back in two thousand and nine. And uh essentially what Jonathan's concept was he didn't feel that people should be penalized for where they live as a result of the medical attention that they should, you know, have. And so he started up a a concept where we flew doctors and specialists from Gaborone to the far and outreach areas throughout Botswana, you know, whereas normally these people would have to sort of catch a bus spend the night possibly at the bus station or whatever the case is to actually get to see the specialist. So instead, we took pediatric specialists. We took HIV specialists. Uh, we also had our, just our regular medical specialists and, uh, and took them out, yeah, to, um, to the various outreach facilities throughout the whole of Botswana, such as Sabong, Hukunsi, Khansi right up in the north and Kasani, and um, some of the very smaller villages such as Saronga, and uh, Gomari, and um, yeah, I, I ran it for him from 2011. Uh, well, I have been running Airborne Lifeline Foundation since 2011, and we expanded into Malawi and into Zambia, where we also worked with the Baylor Pediatric uh, Medical Centers in those various countries. Just uh, you know, just getting doctors out to the people. Which obviously in turn had its impact on the relief of the primary hospitals in Gaborone. I mean, over a period of time, we did over 21,000 patients. So, you know, it did have a big impact. Not only did we fly the medical doctors, but we'd also fly medical supplies. And um, there would be times where, you know, some of the government hospitals were short on uh, medical equipment, you know, like a, a, a piece of equipment that they needed for the x-ray machine and we would facilitate and work very closely with the ministry of health in the various countries and um yeah that's pretty much where it started and um and then yeah no no i I mean it's absolutely fascinating to hear you know how it is that you you guys are getting out into africa what are the kind of medical issues that people mostly have i mean uh, botswana for example is well known because of some of the HIV issues, for example, that it has similar to South Africa. Uh, but but what when you're flying out doctors and specialists, what sort of things are, are in demand that that people are not able to have access to the rest of the time? It's it, uh, pretty much all the all the different various specialities. And yes, while HIV was quite prevalent in, in, to begin with, and it was sort of the driving force, the government really did 
start to uh, roll out some fantastic HIV programs that have really impacted and made a difference. So we were able to take a more of a holistic approach. And there would be times we would take our dietitians because we were seeing a lot of um, malnourished kids out there. Pediatrics was a very big one, you know, especially when we had a mom who would get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to walk to the road to catch a bus to get to the clinic in a very small remote village, knowing that our pediatrician was going to be there for her baby's six-week checkup. You know, it, it was small things like that. And um, we also used to take in a lot of the family physicians, uh, TB specialists, and uh, we would even sometimes take up neurologists. And, uh, and we'd even throw a dentist in sometimes because, you know, some of the knock-on effects of HIV and things like that, there were so many other health issues that would creep in. So um, we really tried to take a very holistic view, but always making sure that we had pediatricians on board and family specialists with regards to HIV and, and TB. Now, of course, we can't talk about health issues in the last two years without talking about COVID. Is that something that you've been very involved with as well? So essentially, you know, particularly here in Botswana, you know, our entire tourism sector shut down. Most of our sector shut down. It's happened all over the world. And what happened was the government was uh, really had a drive to try and get vaccines out to the people to start, you know, just getting the momentum going and, 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 and just uh, getting tourism up and running again. And so we reached out to the government and said, listen, we're here. We'll help you get those vaccines out to the people. And so in August 2021, I mean, it was literally within 48 hours, we had a signed agreement. They were so welcoming and appreciative of the, uh, um, of the offer because it's all funded. The entire NGO is, you know, comes from outside funding. And so we started with the tourism sector and managed to vaccinate, double vaccinate almost 35% of the tourism sector here in Botswana. And once we sort of managed to get that part of the project, we, we started working with the uh, district health management teams in the further and more rural areas, particularly up north in Botswana. It's called the Okavongo area. And uh, we got out to about nine villages, which essentially are cattle posts. But, you know, you, you're looking at 35 people almost per cattle post. And these folks have, you know, they don't, they don't come into town. They don't have the access. And one of the biggest challenges in Botswana was, you know, the cold chain uh, issue. And so with our extreme temperatures and the extreme road conditions and all sorts of things, Airborne Lifeline, essentially, we flew all of the vaccines along with the medical teams to every single village and um, and got all, everyone vaccinated or as many as we could. We even went down to the central Kalahari where, you know, there's a, a big community of sand people that live right down in the, in the southern part of the central Kalahari, which, you know, it would take you two or three days to drive there in the thick sand. And, yes, we, you know, we've got extreme conditions. And so we were a solution to try and get things going and, and facilitate the government in, in terms of getting getting the vaccines out to the people. Yes, uh, it must have been a, a fascinating uh, engagement. We've had a lot of vaccine hesitancy in, in, in South Africa, around the world, around the, around the use of vaccines. Is, I'm interested in, you know, do people know who you guys are? Do they know that when the, the helicopter comes that that means that this kind of medical supplies, is that, that, that kind of trust exists with the communities that you work in? Um, I wouldn't say, say that they knew who we were, but because we went in with local medical teams, they were familiar with 
the various district health management teams because they would run a mobile clinic that would go through these villages once a month or every two months. So they got a message out. I mean, it was, it was crazy. We had to send a message out on the one mobile clinic because there's absolutely no communications in the area to say, right, on this day in six weeks time, you're going to see a helicopter come and you must all come to the clinic site when you see the helicopter because we're going to be doing vaccinations. And, you know, it really is the proper bush telegraph was the only way to get it out to the people. So they did know we were coming and, um, and the, the, the teams, the nurses that we flew with were phenomenal. I, it was so amazing to see them interact with, you know, some people that have half of them have actually probably never even come into a, a major town. It's extremely rural out there. And we had our challenges also just trying to find places to land in the helicopters because there's, you know, there's no road network. There's very, very little infrastructure. And so we would at times have to walk you know, about a, a K through this thick sand to try and sit under a tree where we, you know, uh, where we carried out most of the vaccinations. And uh, I appreciate the idea of, you know, the hesitancy. And, and we did experience some. And, you know, our approach at the end of the day was whether you're pro-vaccine or not pro-vaccine, if you want it, we'll get it to you. You know what I mean? We We didn't want you to be penalized because of where you live and not have the access to the the vaccine or healthcare, you know, just because of the environment that you're in. So that was our sort of approach. And even when we got there, when we did, you know, if there was hesitancy, normally I, we would let the district health teams deal with that because at the end of the day, it is ultimately a personal choice. And we, we respected that. But we were just the logistical solution in getting it there without compromising, you know, the cold chain effect. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating stuff talking about medical interventions in Africa. We're talking to Tammy McAllister today, the the manager of the Airborne Lifeline Foundation. And uh, this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. And we're talking to Tammy McAllister today from the Airborne Lifeline Foundation. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us once again. And I, I want to move away from the professional work that you do in terms of the, the, the medical supplies and just talk about the flying side. Uh, how was how it that you ended up getting into uh, this kind of of helicopter flying. So, uh, Benji, I, I I grew up flying helicopters. My dad was a helicopter pilot, so it's always you know been a passion. And then I went on to actually do my own fixed the fixed wing commercial pilot's license, and um, started flying up in Botswana. I just fell in love with Okavanga swamps, and so have spent most of my flying hours um, over one of the most beautiful parts. And, um, you know, I've been in Botswana now for 22 years and with my experience in the aviation industry, my, my flying sort of morphed from the tourism side to more the wildlife side. And then when I met Jonathan, I'd actually just had my first child. So I wasn't flying, but, you know, still with the experience and the contacts, he, uh, it was quite funny because he, they were running it and I just looked at him and I said, gosh, you need me. Let me run this for you. And, um, and so our relationship was born and 
I'm passionate about flying and I'm passionate about the people that we get to, you know. I mean, even in Malawi, when we, when we started operating out in Malawi and, and, uh, coordinating all the flights and everything up there. But yeah, my, I still do quite a lot of flying. Most of my flying now is, um, is wildlife work related with uh, a lot of survey work, collaring of elephants and, you know, elephant surveys. However, I'm on every single flight when I can with the Airborne Lifeline team. When we used to fly them up from Gaborone, we would put them on a King Air 200 so that the doctors were comfortable. But when they got to mound, they'd jump into a little Cessna 172 or a 206 with me, and I'd fly them into the smaller areas where the 200, where the King Air couldn't get into. And, um, you know, it was, it was really, uh, it was, it was very special to be, you know, at the actual front line where I remember in Sorongo we had, um, it was a very memorable flight for me. I flew two doctors up there and we had this, this mother come in and she'd had seven children and one had already died and they were all under the age of 10. And her brand new baby was about two months old and she was there to see the pediatrician for her two and a half year old and you know, she was HIV and you just, you just stood there and I held this baby because, you know, she was trying to deal with the other child and I just held this baby and I just looked at, you know, the setup and the situation and the clinics are very basic and, um, and just realizing the impact that we're having on, on this woman's life, you know, and the fact that we bring this pediatrician to come and help her with her kids. Whereas if she had had to try and get to Gaborone, I mean, who's going to look after the, you know, the six kids? How, how, do, how does she do this? And so, you know, from a, from a flying perspective, it was always, I always got in wherever I could to fly the doctors up. And, um, yeah, you know, it's, I, I've been very blessed. I've, I've, I've also, my aviation career has taken me, you know, to and open up other opportunities. I uh, facilitated the Botswana Tourism Organization with coordinating the celebration of our independence, Botswana's independence and uh, put on one of the biggest international air shows that the country's ever had. In fact, it was the first major international air show. And, um, you know, and then went on to also get involved with uh, some of the other teams where we coordinated the famous Race for Rhinos, which is a big air race that took place over the whole of Botswana. So aviation runs through my blood. I'm third generation pilot. My grandfather was also a pilot. So, yeah, it's it just all tied in. And so uh, it's, it's been great being part of Airborne and Airborne, you know, is very, very special to me. And we're in the process of renegotiating a new memorandum of understanding with uh, Botswana to reinstate the services uh, at some of the new places. And, um, yeah, we're also talking to Namibia and Malawi again, just to, you know, see where we can help them also with vaccines and stuff. But, uh, you know, the, the COVID-19 thing was, was something that needed to be done now, but the long-term plan is to just continue with our medical services, getting doctors to the people. Now, it, it is Women's Day here in, in, in South Africa tomorrow. Do you find that uh, this world that you live in of flying helicopters and game capturing and even the medical world to some extent is, is very male-dominated or is that not such an issue? <laughs> oh, Benji, you know what? At the end of the day, you just get out there and you do what it is that you do. And the only person you've got to ever prove anything to is yourself. So, yes, of course, it's always been a general male-dominated environment. I mean, my first job that I actually went in to go and apply for, you know, I always 
enjoyed the bush flying on, on, on the fixed wing side of things. And uh, I think my first job was, God, I must have been 2000, 2001. And I got told straight, sorry, we can't employ you due to the female factor, you know, because the perception of a bush pilot, you know, needs to be one of, uh, you know, someone who's capable and, and rugged and, you know, can handle it. And I think about six months later, we, we, we convinced the guy to just try, just try and let me fly. And, well, I haven't turned back since, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've been very fortunate. And, um, whenever I've seen other, you know, younger women come into the industry, I, uh, you know, will always try and support them where I can and take them to one side and say, listen, sweetheart, let's, you know, it's, it's not always easy. So just, just do your best and just stay focused and you don't have anything to prove to anybody other than yourself and, and just be safe. You know, that's, that's the most important thing. So yeah, it's always had its challenges, but it's, I, I must say that uh, there's been a big shift and there's been a big change and, um, and it's, and it's been welcomed and it's been great. There's a lot of us, a lot of us girls flying up here in Botswana now. So it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's good to hear. Now, now you mentioned race for rhinos, air race, uh, which uh, sounds fascinating in and of itself. Uh, but I'm just wondering about the issue of poaching and rhinos and elephants. Uh, we've seen a, a bit of a spike here in South Africa as well. I, is that an issue that you're seeing in Botswana amongst the rhino population? Well, I was part of a team in 2018 where we did a basically we do a survey of the entire. Uh, all the wildlife areas across the country. So it's quite an intense survey flying two kilometer transects. And, you know, we, we really, we really do cover the area extensively. And we did uncover quite a lot of the elephant poaching, um, issues. Uh, sadly, there have obviously been, um, a lot of rhino poaching issues, but a lot of it has, well, particularly from the elephant side, a lot of it has sort of uh, got under control and is um, is being managed a lot more. It's a controversial subject, and you know, you, one is very careful about what one says about you know their own opinions and things like that. But um, we've what we've done. Uh, well, I say that we uh, the, the government's actually moved a lot of the rhinos out of some of the wildlife areas into a more protected environment. So like on smaller um, holdings, we've got, for example, Karma Rhino Sanctuary, which is is just such an amazing little reserve down in the Soroe area where we have a very high, you know, they've moved most of the, the rhino there and to other areas within Botswana where they could be managed a bit better. And so, yeah, you know, poaching is, it, it's a reality. And, you know, my, when, when it was at its sort of peak back in 2018 around there, you know, my boys, or particularly my oldest son, he was like, you know, mum, the poachers will shoot you if you fly over. And I said, no, I know, you know, and, and it was, you know, it, it was, it was quite something seeing it from my son's perspective of the dangers of what we were actually doing. But, you know, at the end of the day, you just, you just go out and you just, you just do what you can because the reality is, we, you know, we have to protect our wildlife as best we can. And I also did all the survey work when we had that mass die-off of elephants up in the northern part of Botswana where we had just over, I, I, you know, the numbers are varied, but anywhere between four and 600 elephants that just mysteriously died. And, um, you know, there's been lots of talking about what caused it and everything like that, but it was quite, it was such a sort of, a, a very concentrated area in, in one of the main sort of elephant corridors, if we call it, because the elephants in this country, I mean, you know, 
we were very fortunate. You know, there is a very large elephant population. And, um, and it's been amazing also with the wildlife flying to see how the populations have moved and changed. And, uh, we're seeing elephants in areas that we normally would never have seen even 20 years ago. So there's definitely been a shift. And, um, but in terms of the poaching, I, I definitely think that there's been a, a push to, to get it under control. But I think it's something that is always going to be a challenge. And, uh, you know, everyone just does the best that they can. Now, the the issue of tourism, you, you, obviously tourism around the region has taken a, a big knock. Uh, and, and I'm kind of interested in if you're seeing an uptick, people starting to come back. I'm also wondering about the tourism industry in Botswana. Talking from a South African perspective, often people are going for luxury, the, the luxury element of it for safaris and then that sort of thing. Is that still the base of Botswana's tourism industry or, or do you find sort of a wider remit of people that are, that are coming to the, the country at different levels? Well, there's certain areas, for example, out in the Okavango Delta, it's always been sort of a high-end product. And that's mainly because of the logistics of getting out there. I mean, there, there are some lodges and camps that when the water, when the, when the main flood comes down, you cannot get to by road. So, you know, we fly your lettuce in. It's the most expensive lettuce in the world. Um, <laughs> so, you know, those sort of logistical challenges is what has pushed those prices. But what we have seen is the government really pushing to create a, a more affordable two and three star lodge options. And, you know, especially with our national parks, we get a lot of South Africans that come up and, uh, you know, we'll do a lot of the camping and uh, the national parks are pretty well set up and kitted out. They, it's nothing like South Africa. This isn't Kruger Park. Kruger Park is, is you know, is like a top end, high end deal. When you come out here, it's, it's rough and we, and it's authentic and it's just so wild and it's so open and there's, there's no fences, you know, and, I think that's one of the reasons what I love about Botswana is just uh, there's just so much space. You know, we're only a population of about just over 2.2 million people, so in a country almost the size of France. So we we've got so much space, and um, and you know, we're also an interesting fact. Botswana is one of the only com- countries that has dedicated 40% of its landmass to wildlife parks. So it's quite. You know, they're very much driving the, the, the tourism sector, and we are seeing a change in trying to accommodate because, you know, one of the aspects was also, you know, we live here in this country, and we can't afford to go and see one of the most beautiful parts of the country in Nakavongo. And so there's been a shift and a change to actually develop, uh, you know, the, the two- and three-star options so that it's not all top five-star stuff. But, I mean, look, I'm, I'm very fortunate having – been in the tourism industry, I've been to majority of the lodges, and it is absolutely spectacular. And obviously, with COVID, uh, you know, the tourism well, it just shut down and just stopped completely. And so that was that drive to get everyone vaccinated, so that you know, because we, what we were experiencing experiencing is there were agents that were going, "Well, are you are you still vaccinated? Because other you know, otherwise we're not going to book with you." So there was there was quite a little bit of pressure as well from the industry. And at the time, you know, it was everyone was just in a panic and just trying to do what they could because, you know, it was their livelihood and we needed to get it back up and running. And so what we've actually seen is a lot of the bookings from 2020 when when we had the proper shutdown were deferred. And um, and so we're actually seeing I mean, our tourism here at the moment is 
crazy. All our camps, are, all the lodges are full. The aeroplanes are flying. And, um, you know, we, we've definitely seen it. It's come back. People, I think, are just tired and they want to get out and they like, you know, whatever, we're going to travel. But the big difference that we've seen is normally people would have booked two years in advance for this safari. Now they'll book three or four months in advance. So, you know, that that's sort of the shift that we're seeing um, with some of the changes. But, um, no, tourism's in full swing here, and it's it's awesome. Through the school holidays, we see all the South Africans come up with, and it's just, it's great. It's great just getting operational and being open and just getting out there and sharing, you know, this this beautiful area. It's just, it's magnificent. It's, I love it. So, for me, there's nothing better than my last flight of the day you know, as the sun's setting and I'm coming back low level from doing an elephant collaring and it's just flying over the Okavango. It just doesn't get too much better than that. I've got a pretty cool office. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a, a good corner office. Absolutely. Now, Tammy, if, if people are interested in the work that you do on the, on the, on the airborne lifeline side of things, how can they find out more information or get involved? We, you know, it's, for us, it's, we would love the exposure. So anyone that's keen, we've got a website, www.airbornelifelinefoundation.org. And we've also got a Facebook page. You know, it's always, uh, it's one of those where most of our funding does come from the U.S. Um, as, as that's where Jonathan Miller is based. And previously we were funded by PEPFAR, which was a George Bush initiative, uh, President Bush initiative. And the PEPFAR started to pull back. Um, out of Africa in terms of its funding. So we are looking at, um, you know, for funding opportunities and things like that. But, you know, even just to share what we do and just to create the awareness is always appreciated. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's making a difference. And even if it's in one or two people's lives, we were very fortunate. Like over the years we've done, um, you know, we've had a difference in 22, 23, 24,000 people's lives. And, it, it, yeah, reach us through the, uh, through the website. Yeah. And in, in a so small population, a small population like Bef- uh, Botswana, that 22,000 lives is a big deal. Uh, it's a, a large percentage of the population. Uh, so, okay. So what is the website that people can go? It's Airborne Lifeline. Dot org. Dot org. Okay. So there we go. If you are interested in having a look at the work that they do, or maybe you're a prospective pilot, maybe uh, you, you love the idea of flying around uh, and checking out elephants for your for your day job and, and helping out people, go check it out, the Airborne Lifeline Foundation. See the work that they are doing. Tammy McAllister, thank you so much for joining us here on Chaifim and sharing with us the work that you do. Absolute pleasure, Benji. Take care and have a great day. Thank you so much. That's Tammy McAllister. She is from the Airborne Lifeline Foundation talking to us about helping elephants uh, and people and anybody else really who needs help uh, in in Botswana uh, to to get access to it using helicopters and fixed wing aircraft. I'm Benji Shulman and this is 101.9 High FM.